Hello, I'm John J. Thompson, and it seems you have fallen way down the True Tunes rabbit hole. Maybe you've come to the podcast recently and are just working your way back to our first few shows, or who knows, maybe someone sent you a direct link to one of these early outings. All I can say is welcome, thanks for stopping by, Bruce and I are glad you're here, but have some mercy on us please. I'll be honest, when Bruce and I went back and listened to these early episodes, well, let's just say it clearly took us a handful of shows for us to get our feet under us. We knew what we wanted to do, but the way to get there took some tweaking. But the interviews are still valuable, and it's probably worthwhile to have these available as documents of our evolution, so we've trimmed them up a bit, tried to keep them timely, and inserted these little disclaimer introductions to each one. You might still hear a few dated references, some wonky edits, and some rough fades, so have some mercy on us as you dig these earliest episodes out of cold storage and enjoy. Thanks for listening. Oh, and if somehow this is your first exposure to our show, please check out any of our more recent episodes for a more accurate representation. Okay, Bruce, roll it. Welcome to the True Tunes Podcast. I'm Michael Gunger, also known as Wei Wu or Vishnu <laughs> Das. Pick your poison. <laughs> There's a reason we put music to movies. There's a reason we put we sing happy birthday and have music at weddings and funerals and everything important because we score these moments of our lives and we include music. It like deepens our experience of it. It yeah. makes it come alive in a different way. Music helps the moment that you're experiencing glimmer and shine with magic and glory. That's the power of the musician is you get to like you get to step out of that normal like rat race of how can we sell somebody something so that something else happens some other time it's like you actually get to invite people into their lives in a deeper way if you're at all familiar with michael gunger you probably have some pretty strong opinions about him you're either really excited about this episode or convinced that i've lost my mind or maybe both if you're not familiar with Michael Gunger, strap yourself in and get ready to discover one of the most interesting artists working today. Hello, I'm John J. Thompson and welcome to the True Tunes Podcast. I don't say this very often, and I'm not sure I fully believe in the concept, but I'm pretty sure Michael Gunger is some kind of genius. He just hums at a different frequency than most humans. He's one of the most ridiculous guitar players I've ever heard, and he has a compositional mind that seems to have taken on the floating spirits of Frank Zappa, Roger Waters, Carrie Livgren, Peter Gabriel, and Tom York. And yes, I know most of those guys are still using their spirits. I'm sure Michael will return them unscathed. And under his new moniker, Weiwoo, he has just released a brand new project that is, well, unlike anything I have ever heard. That's for sure.
Gunger's first national moment was as the co-writer of the song Friend of God with gospel artist Israel Houghton. But there's a good chance most of you first got to know him through the amazing alternative worship music he made with his wife Lisa and a few friends in a band called Simply Gunger. Their song, Beautiful Things, really shook up the worship music world 10 years ago, with lyrics that dared to touch on ideas that were darker and anchored in the pain that plagues creation, but were expressive of a longing for renewal that was both personal and universal. That song introduced millions of people to an artist and his band who were exceptional and adventurous musicians, songwriters, and composers, true artists who were committed to digging deep and telling the truth about what they found. Though certainly not the first alternative worship artists out there, they became vanguards for a new generation listening for sacred music they could respect artistically. Just as Michael, a pastor's kid and lifelong Christian, was seeing doors open and his professional and creative dreams coming true, he experienced a profound crisis of faith. He has detailed that crisis with startling honesty, both on the Liturgist podcast he created and hosted with Science Mike McCarg, and in a book that came out last year called simply This, so I won't diminish it by summarizing it here. Today's conversation, for the most part, will be about the music but a bit of context is probably called for. As with many postmodern Christians, Michael got to the point where he wasn't even sure there was a God. Instead of causing him to simply walk away, however, his profound doubt inspired him to disassemble the faith that had been handed to him, examine it carefully, follow every possible rabbit trail, and then see what was left. This process, commonly referred to as deconstruction in many post-evangelical circles, has become almost a central tenet of contemporary spiritual thought. It sounds like a dangerous concept to some, while to others it simply sounds like living an examined life. In his case, Michael found his answers in some very Eastern traditions. One of the overriding themes of his new spiritual direction is the ancient idea of non-duality, 
a spiritual and philosophical concept in which individuals transcend the superficial separation or dichotomy of the spirit and the mind or the soul and the body. This tradition has roots in many different religions, including Hinduism, Islam, Taoism, Buddhism, and yes, even Christianity. His shift away from traditional Christian beliefs and into something more mystical also led he and Lisa to shut down the Gunger musical brand last year. He promised there would be new music and a new identity. Weiwu is the first manifestation of that promise. Michael has been so generous with his time and energy and the expression of his spiritual and philosophical thoughts that I would encourage you to listen to either his special episodes of The Liturgists or his own separate podcast called Loving This with Michael Gunger if you want to learn more. He's a thinker, a dreamer, a mystic, and a talker, and there's a lot out there for you to explore, critique, analyze, and experience. If you are someone who has left faith behind, you might find these conversations encouraging, interesting, or even inspiring. If you're a Christian who is confused or concerned about all this deconstruction stuff, there are few voices out there who are a better source of perspective and information about what it's all about. Our podcast is about listening to better music and listening to music better, because I have found that these practices have helped me in my own quest to be a better person in general. Michael Gunger, regardless of what you think of his philosophy, is one of the most provocative and interesting artists making music right now. And this Weiwu project is really on another level artistically. To call it experimental would be a bit of an understatement. The album, entitled Are You Perfect Yet?, is a densely produced, intricately arranged, and expertly performed, progressive, pulsing, and ambient effort to, as Michael explains, help the listener connect to their body more fully so that they can experience their true self through sound. This record is loaded with cascading images and word pictures, including ideas borrowed from a wide range of religious traditions. As it moves between dancing rhythms and meditations, the overarching message is that God sees you and you are good. Always the provocateur, these observations have caused Michael to be labeled a heretic all over again by many Christians, and a hero by many fellow spiritual refugees. We'll talk about that too.
Michael and I have been friends for more than a decade, and whether I agree with him on all or any of his conclusions, that's never been a prerequisite for the music I appreciate, the friends I keep, or the conversations I have. I'm not at all afraid of having conversations like these with someone who is so passionately determined to seek the kingdom. Part of listening to music better is learning to listen, to feel, and to discern more deeply and mindfully. How's that for a disclaimer? Michael and I connected online. He from his home studio in Los Angeles, and I from mine in East Nashville. Our conversation went long, and instead of chopping valuable stuff, we're going to turn this one into our first two-part episode. A bit later, we'll crank up the True Tunes jukebox, too, and listen to a brand new EP from Starflyer 59. So, pour yourself some tea, make yourself comfortable, and let's get going. It might get strange in here. I want to start with a fun, hopefully a fun question here, but, you know, Shakespeare said, what's, what is a name? And uh, we'll start with, with uh, Wei Wu and Vishnu Das and all this obfuscation oh on uh, terminology, all your names, and identity crisis. Um, you're not like Prince who's saying, I'm not going to answer back unless you refer to me as an unpronounceable symbol. So who the heck are you? Like, how am I supposed to, like, I see the guy I've known for 10 years, but I don't like, so how are we supposed to address you here today, sir? <laughs> yeah, that's an interesting thing. Each of the names... Vishnu, that was a spiritual name given to me by Ramdas. Um, well, I was Vishnu Das was the name he gave me when I was at a retreat with him. They all function as kind of a different thing to me. Michael, Michael's my given name by my parents. That's what I uh, have on my license, and I sign my credit cards receipts <laughs> with. Uh, and it's what most people call me. I mean, well, that's not even true. You know, my my childhood's friends' parents still call me Mikey. Uh, my dad calls me Gil, which I don't even know where that's from. Uh, some people wow. call me Mike. Some people, Vishnu is a, that was a specifically like a spiritual thing. And there's some people in my world that still call me Vishnu or Vish or versions of it because it, it was for a very specific purpose for me, which was, I had a lot of baggage, which I think most of us have baggage around our identities, around mm -hmm. like, who am I in the world? And, and there's like all these concepts that go along with it. And so as I was kind of like really digging into that, having a name without any baggage, but that was just about mystery and the moment and divinity and love, having that was a really beautiful gift, especially for a little bit there. It was like when anyone would call that, call me that name. It would call me into the moment. It would call me into beyond the stories that I'm used to operating with. And Weiwu is, is an artist name. It's a, it's a, and even it's like an, it's a artist project almost. It's like a, it's a specific endeavor that I'm making. And it's, if you put in Michael Gunger into Google, you're going to have very different results <laughs> or in the algorithm on Spotify or whatever. Right. There's no results on Weiwu. Yeah. It's just like, it doesn't. I think there's some obscure like martial arts. So is it a is it a term that you made up, or is it? It's got some meaning to it too, right? It's referring to a Taoist term that has meaning. That's but it, I kind of messed it up purposefully to not be on the nose about the Taoist term. I mean, it's Wei Wu Wei, 
uh, the Taoist term is basically ac- action without action, or in other words, like a, a flow state kind of thing, um, where, where we're acting in a way that's not so filtered through thinking, but more just being. But yeah, I'm not going to my friends and family and be like, now call me Weiwoo. <laughs> it's, right. it's just right. a name. And here's the thing, like um, a lot of artists, when they do something creative, when they do a musical project or film or whatever, they just kind of say, there's my work, deal with it. I don't want to talk about it. Uh, I don't want to justify it. You, on the other hand, are so generous with your uh, words. You've got multiple podcasts, you've got books, you've you've been outlining your uh, transformation and uh, your joyful uh, deconstruction and all that. What I don't hear you talk as much about and why I thought this would be, I've been looking forward to, to talking to you here, is music. So this identity of Weiwu, musically speaking, the flow, I would love to just start by saying, how does that concept of the flow fit into this first musical expression what is the flow relative to you as a human being who is a musician? Mm. How, how is that yeah, all working I'll, together? I'll try to keep it real musical, not get too in the philosophical weeds as I tend to do. <laughs> so there's something I, I, I remember having a, uh, I was playing a Bach piece on one of the tours that uh, we were doing as Gunger. And I'm not used to playing classical music in front of people. Um, and especially the first few concerts, I don't, I just would really get in my head about it. And I was like really trying to focus and think about it and like, okay, I know this part, here comes this section. And I just kept screwing it up like the first few concerts. And it was, I had, I knew it, I know this piece, but like my head would get in the way. I was like, oh my God, because there's something about classical music. that's like, it's, cor- it's, there's a correct next note. You know, like if I'm playing jazz, nobody can be like, well, you made a mistake. <laughs> That's what it was supposed to be. <laughs> but you can make a mistake if you play Bach. So that like sudden rigid box felt so limited. And so I, I had to switch. I had to learn how to not think. Because when I go back in the practice room and stuff, I noticed I, I wouldn't make those mistakes. I'm like, what's wrong? What's the difference? And I was trying to think about it while I was performing live. I couldn't get into the flow state of it like I was with the rest of the night with the music. And I had to learn how to stop thinking. It wasn't even learn, it's just, I just had to stop thinking or not, it was, it's like a lack of effort. When I got to that point of the concert, I just had to kind of not care. And then all of a sudden I was playing it perfectly or, you know, as perfectly as I can. And it's that, it, that's the flow state where you kind of just trust the body to do, you know, you when you're first learning a scale, you really have to think about it. You really have to put your, finger on the third fret and then the fifth fret and then uh, it's got to be clear and you got to think about it and like what's next okay let's move to eventually that becomes part of the body's knowledge which you don't have to think about it then it just becomes muscle memory it becomes something the body knows how to do this uh this record i wanted to make from what my body knows how to do already so i found i didn't some records i've like really stretched myself um, technically, or like 
played a guitar part that really I'm going to have to piece together and really like muscle it out. This one was all, all the entire performance of it was like, if I find myself trying at all, I stopped and deleted it and just, uh, wanted the entire performance of it, whether I was playing an instrument or singing to be from a, that kind of same space that I was in playing that part where I'm not thinking, not caring, not trying, just being this music. Your level of skill is exceptional. Like you're humming at a plane as an artist, as a as a technician on the guitar, as a composer. And for me, the fact that you're saying you had to be doing box songs at a Gunger show in order to get to the point where you felt that sense of high wire tightrope. But when I listen to this stuff, I hear a level of intricacy and precision and discipline, hyper-disciplined, very almost avant-garde compositionally stuff that you can only do because you've trained yourself. I, I really also am interested in this idea of bringing the listener into their body more fully in order to more fully experience their true self through sound. Well, helping somebody else, okay, is partly theoretical because I don't, I can't feel other people's bodies. But I guess we did have. Rather than like sending to AR people or AR people or like people that knew music business or like, what do you think? What do we need? We need a single. Like, <laughs> my check in for the record was having a few dance parties with friends. Um, and I would feel my own body and watch their bodies at certain moments of the record and be like, oh, I feel like that's how I would check in and be like, oh, there's kind of a lull in this part of the record. We need a little bit more. Everybody would stop kind of dancing at a more like at a. The energy would kind of wane more than I felt when I was just doing it myself. But the whole time, I was really kind of feeling how it felt with my body from every every decision. Like, as I was programming a drum loop or whatever, if it wasn't making me move with what that particular uh, part of the record was intended to be, like whether that was... It's based on five rhythms. So there's um, flow, staccato, chaos, lyrical, stillness. And uh, so depending on where we were at in that sort of wave, that arc of movement, um, I needed my body to be responding in that way. I need to feel flow uh, or feel staccato in some way, that my, the way I would move. So it was just through the whole process, like if it started veering from that. And there was decisions that I had to make even after the point where it was like I'd take out whole sections because it, it like deviated too much from that or whatever like well let's move that or delete it or whatever so yeah just staying present with my own body was how i tried to accomplish that and so even though you're talking about flow and it's not necessarily just improvisation it's there's a lot of discipline and, and maybe the discipline is coming in terms of editing later because there's yeah. lots of layers going on in this thing i mean yeah. there's it's not just you're making stuff up and then what you get is what you get yeah, no, so the actual performance was when I wanted to be in a flow space. Um, editing, while, I mean, you are judging what was. Well, and, and even while you're mixing, while I was mixing it and while I was doing it, like, 
there had to be a time to go, okay, now it's editor glasses time. And as I listen to this, what does this need? What is this lacking? But when I, but then if I'd see, oh, I think this needs some rhythmic support. That's a thought. That's a decision. That's an edit. You know, like a judgmental thing. But then, if I'm gonna perform the hi hat part, um, then I want to be in the space of just like, what's in here? What's feeling natural? What's in my body? What's flowing out? Um, so it was the actual performance of the music as it went down that was that I'd speak of more as the flow state than necessarily like the editing process. That's cool. And to me, that also speaks to this need for communication between the body and the mind, that we are a unified creature. We are not one or the other. Yeah, a bunch of systems that work in this organism, yeah. This unification is where the magic is. And Mm. I can feel the emotion, but I can also sense the rational discipline Mm. I can feel the the trippiness, if you want to say that, but I can also sense all those hours of Mm. scales. I think what, I think there's, I literally just had a conversation with Lisa, my wife about logic and like body, body knowledge or feelings and how you really need, it depends on what you're trying to do on what it's like, you, you can't really say what's better a spoon or a saw unless you say what you're trying to do like for eating cereal a spoon is much better for cutting a tree a saw is much better so if you have some intended purpose um, you have all these ways of knowing all these ways of being and then being able to lean into if if the moment calls for some chops my fingers are prepared um, you right. know if that's what the flow dictates because I've put some structure into that in the past yeah. And I think there's all sorts of interesting ways to talk about, I mean, like even in life, moral development and all that, that that can apply to restraint and abstinence and, and discipline is the way to go. And then there are times where like throwing all that out the window and letting the natural body do what it needs to do is the thing to do. Mm-hmm. And how you learn, develop and grow, that's part of the whole human journey. There's also some really interesting kind of wizardry that you're doing. The day that it came out, I was listening in my car. It seemed strange to me that on Spotify, through Bluetooth, I was sensing that it sounded bigger. Mm. It sounded deeper somehow. And I kept wanting to turn it up like I was just pulled into this thing, but feeling like it sounded more analog. But I'm going, this isn't analog. Even if he recorded it on two-inch tape, yeah. I'm listening to it on yeah. Yeah. Spotify <laughs> in my car. So at some point, it got turned into zeros and ones, and it's coming over Bluetooth. Like, yeah. this is, what did he do here? And then I got home from that exact moment, and I got to my computer, and I put it on here, and I'm listening on my studio monitors. And I was like, oh, my God 
gosh. And my 15 year old son walked in and he heard it and he's like, what is that? Like, wow. and he, he got pulled in. And then I looked on Facebook and, and a mutual friend who plays in Toby Mac's band had posted, I think this is in 432. Oh, wow. And I was like, boom, that's what it, I bet you it is. And I texted you and you confirmed yeah. that it is. So tell me about that. That's the first question I have. So are you a believer in all of the conspiracy theories and no. all of that stuff? <laughs> like, tell, I mean, I have, we'll talk a little bit about that because yeah. a lot of people probably don't know anything about, but tell me about your, your decision for yeah, tuning everything to 432 megahertz. Well, first of all, I'm so, I was so impressed and I'm so impressed that you could feel something different about it. That's a, it's a really subtle thing. I mean, what, if you, if you're not like a super nerd and don't know what we're talking about, uh, <laughs> Basically, you have to tune the, there's, we call it A440 or A432 or A444. There's different, right. it's tuning A to how many hertz or how many, how many vibrations a second the waveform has. Most people, almost all the music you hear now is at 440, but that hasn't always been the state, the state, the, the case historically. Right. And, um, a lot of people there are conspiracy theories about it and what 440 has done to our collective psyche and uh <laughs> there's some fun ones there are some fun ones and so i first heard about it through through that kind of thing where people are like have you heard like i didn't believe it i thought it was funny i'm always i'm always a fan of hearing those kind of things i think it's fun to listen to and talk through and but it really was when i there was some website that had examples of the same piece at 440 444 or 432, I think, were the examples. And I, I like felt like I felt a difference. I was like, how do I? Oh, it didn't make any sense to me. I was like, I feel like I feel a difference. Mm -hmm. um, and then I talked to another friend about it who's just sold on 432. And he's like, talked to me about what him, him starting to learn how to sing in 432 and play. It just felt like a different thing. And I was like, I don't, again, I don't know that I believe in any of this, but I could feel it. And then I had him, I had Lisa like quiz me blind with the with that same app or whatever to say like can oh, i wow. actually feel this and she plays one i'll be like that's 432 she's like yep it's like how do i feel that what am i feeling uh so it really was more like i could actually i felt the difference and it does feel more like mm, sunken in or something it's like yeah. you're, it's i don't know how to put it other than it's i mean it's like rounder or i thought it was really cool and um, I've been a fan, uh, Donald Lawrence, who's a gospel artist and composer and therapist, actually. Mm. He's a big believer. He's the one that told me about this really? a long, long time ago. 432. It's, yeah, it feels, he, it yeah. feels good. Yeah. But yeah. I, you know, I think some it kind must of have been a pain in the butt, though. Like you probably had to tune all of your. I had to retune the piano. Oh, my but, gosh. And it was interesting, even like, I don't know, if, like on a guitar, sometimes, you know, the little notch when you if a string is like used to being in tune right there, you can kind of, yeah. feel, I kind of, you can kind oh, of feel yeah. that yep. everywhere. Like with your body, your voice, it's like, I'm used to having to go a little higher for that F sharp. Then it just feels a little wow. different, Interesting. Um, which is kind of part of the fun that I, that's kind of what I liked and also helped put me more in a flow state. I feel like it was a little, like a little out of my element. Everything was a little mm. different feeling. So I had to kind of like, go with it and this is I, well, I, I first experienced that one of the first really clear experiences i had with that musically was when i did my brother's record and they, uh wilderman who he did a his first record was extremely kind of out there conceptually um 
and he really wanted us to be in that kind of flow state and he was tuning to different frequencies and stuff and uh and he wanted me to be in tunings that i wasn't familiar with and he had me play slide which i've never had played slide before so i'm playing in slide and some takes all the rules off (laughs) in some tuning that i don't know right and just going with it yeah i'm like okay here we go and you just it puts you into a different space So another question, this one I might be way out to lunch on, but when I listened to it, it sounded like you were almost dabbling in some ASMR kind of tricks. And for those, all, and just in a nutshell, ASMR is the, the way that certain sounds will actually impact your nervous system. And mm-hmm. the most common examples you think of like chills running down your spine mm-hmm. or the hairs on the back of your neck going up, like that there's a physiological response to certain sounds. Mm -hmm. So when I heard that, like the way you whisper into the microphone really closely or the little, the little, uh, scratching sounds on some of it, that's an example of sound connecting to the body, right? A neurological, physiological connection between ear and your back or whatever. And just that connection between the body and the ears. Was that something you were thinking about as you were doing it trying to connect that neurologically or just uh uh with those kind of techniques or was that just uh, an accident that i'm reading into it because it was intuitively every sound was intended to like how is this responding in my body i think i was intuitively doing those things i wasn't Mm. thinking of asmr but like if i whisper this line versus sing it versus speak it i could just it would re- it would elicit a totally different response and a totally different feeling and all the lyrics of this record were very married to it all the all the decisions were more about feeling in the body than about conceptual even like the concept was feelings in the body so uh right. normally i might have like a sort of a story that i'm trying to tell through a record or you know even in a lyric like what's the most clever way of saying this one thing this one wasn't so much focused on that as much as like how does this lyric make my body respond and how am i singing it or saying it or whispering it or Mm. shifting it up or down like the timbre of how it's being said what's it like playing with the sound of with the words is as much as the of the meaning as the actual word so yeah a lot of the little like those i forget what one of the speaking pieces where I'm whispering it's also just the sound of those hammers on that piano back there moving before they touch notes like it was just just like that oh, that's what that was start, start moving before they actually strike the string oh wow um, that's cool and that's a very I've always just liked when that sound you can hear a little bit of it in a piano track I like that sound so I'm like what about just that sound <laughs> it made me feel like just like kind of it's like something's about it's like anticipation but uh-huh. kind of warm anticipation. Like 
this idea of helping the listener be more present in their body through sound when we're not present in our body specifically again thinking about music where are we what is the alternative to that when it comes to music Mm. so i've got all sorts of philosophical ways of speaking about that i'm glad you brought it back to music though keep me on my toes here Um, (laughs) one of the things that like when i if i have ever taught classes or lessons or whatever musically one thing that i like telling people is like if you're practicing scales sing it too don't just play it to let it into your body not just into your fingers not just into your mind but like where you can feel a g major scale where you like your body can feel it you can hear it before you play it and you can feel it before you play it and so i think what it can look like there's some like really shredders who can shred scales all all day long and uh but there's just something you can feel when a musician has embodied the music i think i was i remember watching um terrence clark our the guy who plays has played drums with us for i don't know over a decade now i think and i was watching him play with a friend of ours propaganda in a set i was in the in the back watching and there was different drummers coming in for different reasons i can't remember and for some reason terrence anytime i see terrence or play with terrence i just feel this like ah when i feel him live and i it's like what is it he's playing in time um and i was watching the other drummers and i'm like this other drummer that was up there i was like and he was a white dude and i was like he's playing the right note like he's playing in time i think if you put it on a grid i don't know what would be different but boy, it felt different than when Terrence was playing. And I was watching, and then I was really paying attention and I was watching Terrence and I was like, oh, look at, like when he's playing, his whole body is in sync. Like it's not just the stick on the drum. Like look at his shoulder. His Mm -hmm. shoulder is moving. Look at his facial expression. Look at his whole body is in one synchronous dance with this groove. And I, when I would see the other guy play, his arm was hitting the hi-hat at the right time, but his shoulder wasn't doing anything, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I don't know. It's it's kind of hard to articulate what embodied music is, but I think you can feel it. I think you can feel groove. I think you can feel just that when your face is going, what? It's just like nasty. It's like, <laughs> what is it? It's when a whole body, it's almost sexual. It's almost sensuous. It's like the whole music is being coming through the whole organism, not just like the fingertips. It has long felt to me that part of my frustration or my my feeling that there's a missed opportunity when it comes to what has formally been called Christian music in my lifetime has been that it it feels like it's so much about ideas and propositions that that if there was a continuum the pendulum is leaning so much more towards the mind the ideas the agenda um, and away from the body, the feeling, the sensation, the presence, the feet on the ground, 
Um, that's why sometimes mm -hmm. I've leaned more to gospel music. Yeah. Um, it, at least it's embodied more in the place and the community, and it's much more connected to where it's coming from than a lot of contemporary Christian. And I think early contemporary Christian music was a little bit more connected to the people that it was in the, the place, but it's become much more disembodied, if you will. Yeah. And so as you are talking about helping people reconnect, I feel like there's a tradition of that that's, I feel like it's very orthodox, you know? Um, I think that actually this disembodied version of Christianity is what's very much a modern construct and very much unorthodox and yeah. unbiblical. Yeah, I think, and with where we're at as a society, like, I think we're seeing some of what whiteness has done, which when we say that, I'm not talking about the color of someone's skin being light. I'm saying the, the concept of whiteness being, meaning now you're not French or Italian or Irish or British, you're white. Like this, mm -hmm. this sort of, con it's like a blanket um, thing that has happened where you kind of become the the majority, the the standard, um, and what that tends to do is disembody people. Whiteness mm -hmm. really does like chop off the edges and chop off because it needs to fit the cookie cutter. It needs to fit the mold of the power system that is. And this is, I think, you can feel that in its effects in white spaces, but especially white religious spaces. I'll not name the name, but I was at a big white evangelical worship leaders concert. And there was the most cringy part of it by far to me was where they tried to do this like party part where like, let's dance. <laughs> oh man. And it was like so awkward because nobody knew how, nobody knew what to do. We're in this setting where it's like we're supposed to be worshiping the Lord. And I was like, now we're supposed to dance and party. And everybody, like the most they could like kind of bounce a little and lift the hand up, you know. It's like, wow. <laughs> so awkward because this space was not an embodied space. This space, we're in this space in a way to get rid of the body. We're in the space to like, to be better than the body. Our body wants to have sex and sense pleasure and go party or do whatever what the body wants to do we're in here because we're trying to transcend to the lord and like the higher right. way of being right. and so that disconnect that we're all kind of there for to be more holy to be more righteous now we're trying to dance and it's like what what are we supposed to do we don't even know how to listen to our bodies we don't even know can i move my hips is that bad to move my hips the lord is okay with me like bouncing on my feet a little bit where does the line shoulders, yeah, the shoulders if you're a man not if you're a woman you don't want to shake too much right. uh, <laughs> you know it's just so ridiculous um but yeah i think that that disembodied music and i think you can feel it in a it's not just musically i think it goes with the big power things religion and race and all the different ways that society has controlled people
Well, certainly culturally, you can see, like what you're saying, it cuts off the edges. You can see how all of the distinctions of those different culture groups that are now just called white, mm-hmm. it's they've all kind of, unless you go to Oktoberfest or you go to some kind of special yeah. occasion, you've lost a lot of the distinctions of those different people groups. Even across America, mm-hmm. you lose the different distinctions regionally. It just kind of homogenizes and becomes Cracker Barrel everywhere instead of distinct foods and whatever. But yeah. the idea here about this disembodiment that I think is really interesting and your calling your mission to help people re-embody it as I see what's going on right now with the dis- this breakdown and decay that that has been going on it's not like we're seeing it go- it's obviously been going on for a long time but now it's just that uh, the lid is off and we can't hide it anymore do you feel that musicians especially musicians with a certain spiritual calling might have a special role in helping to re-embody theological, Mm. Christological, spiritual ideas back into the body. And might that help us regain some traction in terms of both empathy when it comes to the way we relate across cultural, racial divides, and in terms of action? when it comes time to actually do stuff. Might might we as simple musicians actually have a role to play in, in this moment like that? Yeah, wow, that's, yes, a resounding yes. I think that if white disembodied spaces hear that and, and, and are witnessing what's happening in our culture and witnessing what white supremacy has done, how the effects and insidious nature of how it's infected so much, I hope that the answer to that is not just, okay, well, let's sing a few more Israel Houghton songs in our service. You know, like, right. actually... And we know you are, he loves you and you're an Israel Houghton. That wasn't yeah, down that, that's not, not Israel at all. songs at all. Right. Um, they're great. I just meant, like, putting on clothes, putting on on the surface, right. that you're going to address white supremacy by just, like, right. Right. changing a few of your aesthetics. As opposed to like, maybe can you find some leadership of people that can help you find your own body? Like find a black woman that will... (laughs) It's harder to be disembodied as an oppressed person uh, when your body is on the line all the time. So sometimes we're going to have to find some people to lead the way for us and listen to other people and watch. Why do we have this division between Christian music and gospel music? Be- it's white and black. It's just like yeah. how many times can we ask that question before people get the answer? And like, let some people who know what they're doing, who are actually are embodied and actually are embodying these christological, theological, whatever things that they know how to do it with music. Can we empower them? Can we give them resources and give them a stage and give them priority in our in our liturgical decisions and our who people are signing, who people are like. It all goes together and it's, I just think the whole system as it's been is like white evangelical American Christianity needs some very thorough dismantling of some things in order to not be a harmful system in a lot of ways like it is. And it's, it's not, it's harmful to black people and people of color, yes, but it's also making the white people that are part of it and leading it hurt as well. It's totally disconnected yes. from their bodies. Right. And I think music is kind of like, a fruit of all of that it's not well i don't think saying musicians are like uh 
I'm not saying just like give everything to musicians, <laughs> but um, <laughs> but they definitely musicians that know how to do it already. Musicians that are actually embodying the music, the the kind of things that we're talking about already. Yes, they can be a powerful like leadership and invitation into some new ways of being, and new ways of practicing, new ways of gathering, new ways of uh, connecting. Like I mentioned, instead of cutting valuable stuff, we're going to split this conversation into two episodes. You won't have to wait long for part two, though. Just make sure to subscribe on whatever platform you use or to our email list at truetunes.com so you don't miss it. Next time, Michael reflects on the ideas behind the title of the album, Are You Perfect Yet? And we continue our discussion about how the disconnect between head, heart, and body may be contributing to the racial disharmony gripping the church. Trust me, you don't want to miss it. We'll be right back after this. We're back with the True Tunes podcast. Starflyer 59, the moody, vibey, droney band from Southern California that helped put Tooth & Nail Records on the map over 25 years ago, is back with a new EP, now on Velvet Blue Music, called Miami. Although it's never surprising to get solid music from Starflyer, for an EP this flawless to come so close on the heels of last year's excellent Young In My Head LP suggests that vocalist, songwriter, and guitarist Jason Martin is in some kind of zone. With Trey Many, formerly of Pedro the Lion, His Name is Alive, and Velour 100 on drums, and Steve Dale of Project 86 on bass, Martin offers up five songs that are melodically lavish, musically pitch-perfect, and lyrically just right for this corona moment. Although details are spare, Martin recently had some kind of surgery and spent significant time sentenced to a recliner for recovery. Having been through that exact experience a couple times in my life, I can personally relate, but it also feels like the claustrophobic melancholy captured by the lyrics and delivery, even as the vocals fight through the sunny, melodic song structures and textures, probably reflects how we all feel during these quarantine days. The opening track starts with an uncharacteristic acoustic guitar riff that takes me right back to Love and Rockets' 1987 hit, No New Tale to Tell, before careening off into its own groove. I dropped you off at the halfway Cause you said you'd been doing too much How can it go so low and so This recliner, which has been out for a few months as a single, leans into everything great about 80s alternative rock with shades of psychedelic furs and Peter Murphy swirling around unapologetically.
CV2, with the epic and simple lyric hook, really captures the painful truth we see on display every day. Regardless of position or power, mortality and gravity maintain their sway in this world. Everyone can crash. Once More brings forward a classic rock riff or two, some fantastic attitude, and a sad prayer. Please, can I change once more? It might just hit a little too close to home for those of us of a certain age. Is the Starflyer 59 has often preferred to trade in something more like impressionism and musical swagger, so maybe the more pointed lyrical direction of Miami is a coincidence of timing. Maybe Martin's forced recuperation has nothing to do with quarantines and viruses, but if it's not, 
it's one of the most fortunate accidents of the year. I'm going to hold off on the soapbox this time and wait until we wrap up the conversation with Michael Gunger. For now, I want to thank him again for taking time to be with us, and I want to thank you for listening. This idea of reconnecting or reintegrating ourselves may have philosophical roots that some of you find unsettling, but I think we can all agree that the kind of disembodied, disconnected lives we have often been living and the faith, or sometimes faithlessness, we have been experiencing has been contributing to a lot of disconnected art, hasn't it? When Jesus gave us the image of one body with many parts, he didn't mean for those parts to function independently of one another. The idea of integration is so important, and whether you're a musician or just a fan and supporter of the arts, we all have a role to play in this process. I hope you'll join us for part two coming very soon. That's just about it for this first part of our conversation with Michael Gunger. We will be back with part two very soon, along with an in-depth look at the new album by Bob Dylan and a blast from the past when we spin a 1983 classic by the band Daniel Amos on the jukebox. All this talk about disconnection and duality reminded me of one of my favorite records, certainly an album that inspired me to listen to music in a new way when I was just a teen. So we will talk about Doppelganger next time as well. I want to thank my producer, Bruce A. Brown, as always, for cutting the show together, making it sound so good. And of course, a big thanks to Michael Gunger for taking so much time with us today and all of the artists who provided so much music for this episode. The contents of the podcast are protected by U.S. copyright law and are the intellectual property of Gyroscope Productions, with the exception of songs or clips that are from previously copywritten materials. Everything on this episode is used by permission or under fair use provisions. This program is intended for the private use of our listening audience. Gyroscope Productions can be reached at truetunesmusic at gmail.com or P.O. Box 60401, Nashville, Tennessee, 37206. Until next time, this is JJT saying stay tuned and stay true.